This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. The 1993 Mozart Effect study stopped just short of promising eyesight to the blind or rain from dry skies. But its disciples made impressive claims. They strongly implied that if Junior applied himself to his musical studies, he had one foot in the door to Harvard, or something like that. The idea sparked a media blitz and a cottage industry of CDs for babies and toddlers. But the study was vastly misconstrued. Now, 20 years later, neuroscientists are giving us a much better understanding of how music can impact brain development and cognition. Today, we'll talk to two leading researchers in the field, starting with Dr. Nina Krauss, a professor and neuroscientist at Northwestern University. Her auditory neuroscience lab studies the impact of speech and music on listeners. Welcome, Nina Krauss. Thank you. Your most recent study involves the Harmony Project, which provides free instruments and instruction to kids in underserved areas of Los Angeles. What kind of training do those kids get, and how do you gather your data? Well, the Harmony Project is one of two projects that we're involved with, uh, with inner city schools uh, and inner city kids. So, you know, one is in the Chicago area where we're looking at uh, high school kids in uh, low-income neighborhoods, and the Harmony Project is in uh, the gang reduction zones in L.A., and the kids there are being taught by uh, musicians number of times during the week uh, in after-school group and uh, some individual uh, settings. Uh, and this is different from the, the Chicago public school where they're getting uh, music that is being taught within the school system by their teachers. And I understand you do some kind of a finger-tapping test? So rhythm is, is obviously an important component of music, but it's also very important for speech because for both speech and music, uh, rhythm gives us, you can think of it, it gives us a temporal map with signposts pointing to, to the location of what is meaningful. And so we are interested in auditory motor synchronization, so the ability to tap along with a beat. And so kids will listen to, say, a metronome-sounding beat and tap along with that metronome. And it, it turns out that research that we have done and others have, have, have done shows that the ability to synchronize and to tap along with a rhythm is actually related to language skills. Usually during the recording, uh, the, the, the beat is consistent for a while, and so it's really whether the participant is able to tap along to a consistent beat. And also, at a certain point, we take the sound of the metronome away and measure how the children are able to remember the beat that they heard. So they keep tapping, remembering what beat they had just listened to. And what have you found? Well, what we've found is that the kids who have gone through the Harmony Project, so this is just after one year. Um, at this point, we have just collected data from, from three years, and we're going through that. But um, we have already found that after a year of, of training, the kids who have been in the music training are better able uh, to synchronize to the beat and to remember the beat. And one of the reasons that this is important 
also from a neurobiological perspective is that um, we've recently demonstrated that the ability to tap along to a beat is related to how precise your auditory system is, so how precise your brain responds to sound. So, you know, if, if you present a sound again and again, um, you want to measure how consistently does the nervous system respond to the same sound. We already know that kids whose brains respond inconsistently to sound tend to have poor language skills. So they are poorer readers, for example. Um, so it, it seems very important to be able to strengthen abilities that are linked to the precise timekeeping and processing of sound. And it would so seem the that the music yeah. training is you're saying is is sharpening their hearing, their sound tuning into skills. That's right. Let's bring in our second guest now. She is Virginia Penhune, a psychology professor at Concordia University in Montreal. Earlier this year, she published a study in the Journal of Neuroscience, which suggested that musical training before the age of seven has a significant effect on the development of the brain. So your study found that the younger you start music lessons, the stronger the connections in your brain. Why is that? So what we have found is that the younger you start your training, the stronger are the connections between the two motor regions of your brain. So what we think is that uh, playing a musical instrument, most instruments, you need to use uh, both of your hands and you need to use them quite flexibly. They have to interact with each other. So like if you're playing the piano, you need to uh, coordinate the two hands. But even if you're playing the violin where you do two different things with your hands, they need to be in sync with each other. So we think it's that part of what you practice that changes these connections. Is there an ideal age or a cutoff age in terms of brain development for the effect of music? Well, I mean, what we seem to be showing is that starting before this age of seven, and it's probably not just seven. We've done some other work that says, you know, it's probably somewhere between seven and nine. Starting early is related to those changes that we showed in the brain. So what was interesting or kind of cool for us is that Starting early changed your brain. What we don't know is whether starting early actually makes you a better musician. So there are plenty of examples of musicians who start later who are fabulous musicians. But it might be the case that starting early gives you this very, very good motor control and maybe some uh, ability to perceive sounds and pitches that is useful to you as a musician. Are there other things besides learning an instrument that could have just as much effect on brain development? I mean, kids today spend a lot of time in front of the computer screen playing games, which develops your video, your audio, your motor control. Yeah, what we think we're seeing when we do these studies is not just an effect of music. But I think and this is, uh, I think, similar to what Dr. Krauss is talking about, is that music is a really effective way of training certain kinds of skills. So you can think of all of the things you need to do when you're taking music lessons. It trains your attention, trains uh, your ability to perceive different sounds, it trains your motor function. So, of course, if you do some other kind of skill, like ice skating or gymnastics or playing video games or studying math, 
Well, those are also going to change your brain. And it probably depends each uh, skill that you might learn. There's probably uh, a point in your development where your brain is changing or particular areas of your brain are changing in such a way that they can really take advantage of that experience. That's what we think is going on with music and with this motor practice, right? So practicing all these finger skills, it's taking advantage of the fact that the motor regions of your brain are changing a lot between the ages of, say, seven and nine. So that's why training music at that point has this effect on the brain. The Economist magazine recently said in an article that music is being prescribed for the elderly as a way to keep them stimulated. How does that jive with the findings about the, the effects of music on the brain on the young? Yeah, so I mean, we, you know, we've certainly found that uh, lifelong musical experience, and you don't have to be a professional musician. Just to f- in in our hands, mm-hmm. we define a, a musician as someone, a hobbyist, someone who plays minimum of twice a week for 20 minutes. But uh, a lifelong musician, when they get older, uh, their nervous system is biologically younger in a number of dimensions. A number of dimensions that we see change very systematically with age. Um, in, in another study that, that it will be coming out tomorrow, actually, in um, Journal of Neuroscience, we've looked at the impact of early musical education in people who then have stopped playing music because you know, not everyone is a lifelong musician. And uh, what we found is that the representation of sound, so you know, what, what happens as we get older is that uh, neural responses slow down, especially in response to uh, very fast and complicated sounds like consonants. And uh, we saw that uh, people who had had musical training earlier in life um, had a a, a protective effect, if you will. They had uh, biologically younger brains vis-a-vis this particular dimension. Certainly argues that healthy aging and thinking about, um, you know, a healthy life begins very early in development. In the past 20 years, the Mozart effect, in quotation marks, has been debunked and rebunked and dangled all over the place. Has the Mozart effect, the idea of it, helped you get attention for your research, or has it hurt to have music represented or misrepresented as a cure-all? To me, one of the the difficulties with the Mozart effect is that it was an, an effect that was associated with the passive listening of music. And I think that the work that Virginia and I have been talking about is really in, in stark contrast to that in that it really, you know, when we talk about musical experience, it is the active engagement with an instrument. And, and that's a, a really different experience than... Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it's also, it really brings up this idea of what do you expect music to do for you, what do you want it to do for you? I mean, really, why we take music lessons is we want kids to learn music. We want them to enjoy music. We want them to be able to have social benefits of music. And I think that thinking of it only as a way to change or to impact other things is maybe a little bit of a mistake. So thinking that music is there to make you overall smarter or music is really only there for some other skill that isn't music. I think Nina has done some really interesting studies and very specific studies saying, well, maybe some of the particular things you learn in music 
you can apply them in other areas like language. And I think that speaks also to your question, Naomi, about music training later in life. I and mean, we know we know that you know animals, living organisms, continue to change and learn until they die, and uh, and, and older adults uh, certainly can. Some biological benefits have been uh, attributed to uh, computer-based training, for example, and there really is not much biological evidence yet about the impact of um, resuming or starting a musical instrument uh, later in life. But one could argue that, uh, at least for many people, that um, music training is inherently enjoyable and you, you, you can never master it completely. So it, it's, it's continuously uh, rewarding and engaging. Do arts advocates still cite the Mozart effect research to justify the usefulness of arts in the schools? Again, I think that there are enough things that music provides for us and for kids. Social interaction, cognitive stimulation, being part of a group, some of the same kind of things that we think about when we think about why are sports good, right? Uh, We think sports are good because they teach kids to play together. They teach kids about fairness. They teach kids about teamwork. Well, there are lots of things that music teaches that might be somewhat similar, but also it is a great thing just in and of itself. And it doesn't have to be classical music. Yeah, and certainly um, the experience with with the Harmony Project uh, out in in L.A., uh, the kids who are engaged with the music program are, um, they're not dropping out of school. They're staying in school. They're the first in their families to um, to finish high school. They are getting social benefits in, in the form of having something to do after school that is, is generative. And one of the questions that we're really trying to get to the bottom of with uh, these two longitudinal projects that we have in uh, one in the Chicago Public Schools and the other in, in Los Angeles, is to follow kids longitudinally and to see what is the impact of musical experience that is delivered in a group, school-based setting. And um, I, I think that that is the kind of evidence that really will provide knowledge about the uh, impact of musical education in a format that is uh, deliverable for many people. Thank you very much, both of you, for joining us. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you. This has been Conducting Business. Our guests were Virginia Penhewn, a psychology professor at Concordia University in Montreal, and Dr. Nina Krauss, a professor and neuroscientist at Northwestern University. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening.